0: And welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, March twenty seventh, two thousand twenty two, from Luke chapter eight.
1: I don't know. I thought a little while ago, I thought it would be sweet. I mean, this. Is a, I mean, it was good for me to think about going through Lent and just looking. There's, there's something that happens. Well, it happens twice in the Gospel of Matthew, twice in the Gospel of Mark, once in the Gospel of John. Six times in the Gospel of Luke, people found themselves at the feet of Jesus. And I thought that's a beautiful place to spend Lent. So we're basically just talking in, the, in, the, in the, these last weeks of Lent, um, people who found themselves at the feet of Jesus and why. So I just wanted to, Katie read that so beautifully. I just wanted to go over this um, Just say this one verse, that when after they had crossed the lake from Galilee, Jesus stepped ashore. This is from Luke chapter 8. And met a demon-possessed man from the town. And all the crazy stuff he did. When he saw Jesus, he said, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Don't torture me. Anyway. Jesus got rid of all of those evil spirits. And then the people went out to see what happened. And when they came came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Remember that? Remember how Jesus, there were two times. One time he made bread for and fish, multiplied bread and fish for 5,000 people, and then including women and children. And a second time, he did it for 4,000 people. Those 4,000 people were these people, the people that... um, lived in his town, that he had told everything that Jesus had done. Help us, Lord, to understand the beauty of this story, the beauty of your power, the beauty of living at your feet. In your precious name, amen. OK. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I got, that's the wrong notes. That's what these other ones. No, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to be in Elm Grove Park? I think it would go, like it's 38. Degrees. Remember how awesome it was. I think I just, a year ago, that's where we were, and I thought it was easier to pay attention when it's 38. Was it, isn't it? Like, remember it was 38? It was easier to pay attention when it was 38 and drizzling. Remember that? Because you're just like, No, we had we had two Sundays with snow on the ground. I just, and I just thought it was awesome. So, I remember a guy. He was a, a businessman. He had a pretty big region, and so sometimes on the weekends he would be away from home. And he had, depending on what city he was in, he had like four churches that he would stop, that he that he would go to, that he liked in each of the different cities. And one Sunday morning it was a big. He loved, loved this big Presbyterian church, and it was about two thousand people. But he realized he had had a long week, and when the pastor started talking, he wasn't it wasn't going to survive it. He knew he wasn't and so he had a little thing that he did where he would cross his legs and then he would, he would put his elbow on his leg and put his face underneath that he put the outside of his elbow on the outside of the opposing leg lock it with his arm it would keep his head from betraying him you know bobbing up with his mouth wide open it just and he would just close his eyes he would be all locked in and he could sleep and that's what he would do if he knew he was going to and in this big old church and then he thought that service was over because the guy beside him stood up so he stood up and realized that out of 2,000 people. There were seven people standing, him and six other people, and that he had volunteered to give his life to serving Jesus as a foreign missionary. So that was, yeah. This one couple, they were they were in this big. It was a big church, and they were in about the fourth row. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the sermon, the husband just gets up and goes out into the aisle, walks out the back of the church, throws the door open, and walks out. And his wife went chasing after him. And after the service, she was talking to the pastor, and she said, "I'm." So sorry that my husband walked out of your service but he's been a sleepwalker since he was 10 years old. So that's but you know but, but in I mean it's easy to see how it could happen to y'all you know but but then when you think so there was a time when Jesus was in a in a boat with his guys it was nighttime and they were going across the the sea of Galilee and there was this gigantic storm and Jesus was asleep and you know I just have that question how are you doing this like how are you sleeping in the storm it's the same question I have. When I fly in an airplane, it's just like the guy beside me is asleep, and I'm like, "How are you doing this? Like we're th- we're f- five miles above the earth, going 450 miles an hour, at, you know, in an aluminum tube. I don't know how you're doing this. So I just like, how are you sleeping in this boat in the storm? But maybe a better question would be, who? A more clarifying question is, who was sleeping in the storm? Jesus was Almighty God who had become a human being. Did he know they were going to encounter a storm in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night? He knew everything. Of course he knew that. And it's like, well, how could he sleep knowing that they were going into this storm? And Jesus was Almighty God who became a human being. to do. He had come to Earth to do a variety of things, but principally he had come on a mission to to pay for us on a day when the whole earth would become dark. And it was prophesied and foretold centuries before in prophecies of the ancient scriptures. And there was one, there's one in particular in, Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 9. It's kind of complicated, but I believe that what it says is, it says precisely that Jesus wouldn't do that until the first week of April, 33 AD. I think it's exactly what it says. And they were at about 31 AD, so he knew there's a storm, whatever, but nothing's going to happen until I reach my goal. So, um, And you think, well, why did he sleep? Okay, so the reason that he slept... Was because he was almighty God who became a human being, but he was a real human being and human beings like we it's what we need to do. I mean, it's the way God made us. There's something about sleep and being a human being that just teaches you. You just have to give up. Up once a day and let sleeping and just let say I have to give up complete control of my life I'm so, sometimes Tina and I would just say you know we're about to lay down and we're going to pass out it's incredible when you think about it for hours we're gonna be passed out like for hours one, one person says sleeping is the only activity that you have to devote your entire self to so it's just um, and we have to do it. And Jesus was a real human being, and he had to do it. And it was dark, and it was night, and it was time to sleep, and that's why he did. Uh, human beings have to sleep seven to nine hours every day. All of them do. I would read, read a report where executives had trained themselves how to sleep or how to live on five hours a day of sleep and the study they did a study of them and came up the conclusion that the number of executives who actually can live on five hours of sleep a day the percentage of them is exactly zero that and but Two thirds of Americans don't get the sleep that they need and are sleep deprived. People that are sleep deprived are 10 times more likely to be diagnosed with clinical depression compared to the general population. 17 times more likely to be diagnosed with clinical anxiety compared to the general population. When people, when a person is sleep deprived, they don't, they have a, th- they, there's a thing where, um, when you have like an upsetting situation, your response to it is 60% stronger than it would be if you had had adequate sleep and so when you have a strong reaction to an upsetting situation you release cortisol which is the hormone that is, is like your emergency hormone which is designed to keep you um, awake when you have to stay awake and then you're more sleep-deprived and then you release more cortisol and they said some people that are sleep-deprived are in a perpetual state of emergency you know and so I remember this one guy this woman she wakes up and her husband was up in the middle of the night like at 3 in the morning sitting in his chair reading a book and she said what's the matter and he said, I can't sleep. And she said, why? He said, because I owe Bob $1,000. I'm supposed to pay him tomorrow. You know our neighbor, Bob. And I, and I, I owe him, I can't pay him. And I just can't sleep because I can't pay him. She goes, let me solve this. She opened the window and started yelling, Bob, hey, Bob, hey, Bob. And, and he did, nobody answered. She got a slipper and threw it and hit his bedroom window <laughs> across the way. And the guy opened the window and said, what is it? Bob, Jim can't pay you that money tomorrow. He doesn't have it. And then he said. Now we'll let him stay up all night and worry about it. We can go back to sleep. There's just, um... but anyway, I mean, I don't know if I would have been able to sleep knowing that we were going into this storm, whatever, with Jesus in this book. But the thing that would have kept me up more than anything, it didn't keep Jesus up for one second, was the reason they were going across the lake in the middle of the night was Jesus had an appointment. With they landed on the shore after you know, he stilled the storm and all that, oh, they were so relieved. They landed on the shore and Jesus had an appointment with a guy who didn't know he had an appointment with Jesus. But it was a guy who says he was like demon possessed. Like he had all of these like evil spirits and he was just running around day and night, never sleep, running around naked all the time. And he was just like he was like driving everybody out of his life, screaming and yelling, cutting himself with rocks. And then Jesus showed up and said, he said, Jesus, have you come here to torture me? And it's just like you're cutting yourself with rocks there, bud. Um, yeah, Jesus has really come to torture you, but you're doing a pretty good job on your own. So, but anyway, it was just a guy who was hurtful of himself and others, just hateful of himself, just like hating himself and other people, and he's just hopeless about anything, and uh, I, mean, some, I mean, sometimes people might say, so is this a thing? Like, is this a real thing? Is it like demons or evil spirits or um, unclean spirits? Uh, yeah, it's a thing. It does, um, there, there is such a thing. There are some people think that they're angels gone bad. But there's an invisible world that we don't see. And there are evil spirit beings. And they're under their captain the devil and, and all that. And it's like, could that, could that happen to me? Could something like that happen to me? Um, if you believe in Jesus. I am convinced that it cannot happen to you and like we all, like even in this translation it talks about people, people being demon-possessed that it doesn't say in the Greek New Testament it doesn't say their people are demon possessed it says they were demon demonized if you believe in Jesus as your Savior the moment you trusted in him Almighty God the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And Paul said in the book of Ephesians that he is the one who guarantees that you are going to be God's possession forever. The one who possesses you is God. And if an evil spirit knocked on the door to try to get into your heart, he would find it occupied. And it, I, I remember one time, so this can't happen to you if you believe in Jesus, but I, one time I was at that, the, before I used to go to the Morgan County prison, I used to go to the Anderson County Jail. And, there was a guy that, and just, you know, get guys to come in to do Bible study or whatever. They were always there. That is the worst place ever. I mean, there's it's just there's nothing to do. So I would just say, guys, there's nothing on TV. Just you don't need to watch, you know, soaps. So and I'd get him to come in. There was a guy who um, he had never he, had, he was only there for one week. And so he came into my study and he said and we were talking. And he said, I have a question. And I said, what is it? He said, um, what do you do when you can't get somebody to forgive you? And I said, um, what do you mean? You can't get, he said, well, because they're not here. And I said, what do you mean they're not here? And he said, they're not here. I can't get them to forgive me because they're not here. And I said, I don't really know what you mean. And he said, I didn't mean to do it, but they're not here. And a guy told me, you can do something so terrible that you give yourself a demon and you can't get rid of it. And I think I've done that. And I said, let me ask you a question. If I say, have you ever believed in Jesus as your Savior, what would you say? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is my man. He's my ticket. And I said, have you ever, do you? Do you know why Jesus died in that horrible way? He said, you know what, I've never really understood that. And I said, OK, so in the Colossians chapter 2, it says that the reason Jesus died that horrible way, when people were crucified, it was a way of execution that was making a public statement. It was usually a crime against the government, and it was a way of intimidating people to never do anything like this. But the crime that they did was written on a placard, and it was nailed above the cross where they were nailed. Because Jesus is the only human being that never did anything anything wrong he had no crimes to be accused of and paul said what was the apostle paul in the new testament what was written on that plat on the board above his cross was your crimes and my crimes and the crimes of everybody that's ever lived because he was paying for our crimes and paul said that when he paid for them they were all completely paid for they took that placard down and he overturned principalities and powers that's your demons and evil spirits and made a public humiliation of them their defeat And so, like, when you read the the Gospels and you see all this stuff happening, one thing that it's important to remember is that the Gospels, about 95% of the four Gospels talk about the time before Jesus rose from the dead. So there was stuff going on that today it's different because Jesus triumphed over them, and they're defeated. And I said the only leverage they would ever have in your life is guilt. If you believe in Jesus, you don't have any guilt. They have no authority over you. You whatsoever they, you are completely and totally forgiven and they are completely and totally defeated and he said wow that is good news and I said you think that's why they call it that but um so although a lot of whenever it's like a lot of times if I talk about this story like in, in jail or prison sometimes when you say have you all ever known anybody who just could was doing things that was hurting themselves Couldn't stop doing it. They were driving everybody out of their life that loved them and could never sleep. And they all go, oh, yeah. And I would be like, who was it? And they would all raise their hand. And they said, that was, that was me. You know, I do. uh, I do believe that we are in a spiritual warfare. And I think that there are evil forces. They ha- the only leverage they have in our life is guilt. And because we have no guilt because of Jesus, the only leverage they have in your life is lying to you and telling you things that aren't true. I one of the my favorite books in all the world was written by a guy. And but um Uh, and it's about how to be a joyful person and he said I guess like demons and all that they must love messing with us the the secret to joy is you have to love the warfare more than they do you have to be a person who said I love this fight and I'm gonna fight for my joy I I met a woman one time she died of cancer but she said I want to be that woman who when I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning the devil says oh crap she's awake No, but but um, but I do think that some of us know. I mean, some of us know what it feels like to feel even without the devil's help. You know, some of us know what it feels like to be awake at night and feel alone, to feel anxious. Some of us know what it feels like, even without any evil. some of us just struggle with this more than others, to know what it feels like to feel like hurtful of myself and just, I just hateful of myself and hopeless. We just know. And so we have to learn how to fight. There's, um, so when Jesus cast all the demons out of this person, it said when all of his friends came, they found him clothed and in his right mind. And the and in the Greek language, when it talks about that, it's so it's it's the word it's a it's a compound word. The word for mind or thinking or attitude is the word friend. It's where we get the word diaphragm. It means your thinking, your mind, but it had to do with the way you breathe. It's just like. You're just calm. And the word healthy is where we get the word salvation, a saved mind. But lots of times in the New Testament, that word means salvation, but it means healthy more times than it means that. It's just like, I'm just a person that because of Jesus, I have a healthy way of thinking about myself. I don't feel hurtful, hateful, and, and hopeless. You know, I just, I'm learning. I, I, a healthy mind is just... You know, I do have peace. I'm not anxious all the time. That's what it means to have that. I have, I have peace. I love people starting with myself. I look in the mirror and I think, I like what I'm seeing. I like who I'm, who I'm becoming. Um, more often than not, I have joy. That's what I want. I want a healthy mind. So what can I do? do about it how can I get that where I just feel like I'm just sitting at the feet of Jesus and I'm a person with a healthy mind I think in healthy ways I do think that there are some things that I can do like okay um I exercise every day. I do. I, if I, I, I have to. I exercise every day. I think it makes you feel better. I think a lot of times people that are depressed, if they exercised every day, they would feel a lot better. Jesus, in his life, walked as, so, as many miles, almost as many miles as are around the world. When I, So I have time with Jesus every day. And I run every day. And I do it for the same reasons, in some ways, because I want to have a healthy way of thinking. When I hurt my knee, I broke it. And the doctor said, you cannot step on this knee, on your foot, for 10 weeks. And I don't remember this. But Lee told me I did it, and Tina told me I did it. I looked at both of them and said, how am I not going to go crazy? You know? <laughs> I think it's, I, you know, I think you, I don't need a lot of crud. You know, I just, I, I don't. I do, because it's just something that makes me feel cruddy. It makes me feel. You know, I try to, one thing that's important for us to remember is that we're, um, Elton, Elton Trueblood, who was an American theologian, said, angels are spirit beings. Humans are spirit and body. They're both. And any religion that is valid is going to address both of those. And, it's, I, you know, I remember one time where a bunch of us were out. I think I told you all this. And they want to get this triple fudge stack cake. And then somebody said, well, somebody bless it. And I'm like, what? What are you going? How are you going to bless this to the nourishment of our bodies? You'd have to be Pentecostal, like, to believe that that could in any way nourish your body. And I was just like, I was just going to pray, Lord, forgive us our sins, which we are about to commit, <laughs> from Thy bounty through Christ our Lord, Amen. But I mean, and sometimes people need medication. I mean, there are you know that some people that you know that have anxiety problems and and depression problems. One of my favorite. Um, People in the world was a man named Charles Spurgeon, and um, he took. He became a pastor of a church in 1854 in London. When he was 20, it was a church that had historically had a thousand members; they had gotten down to 120, and in a year and a half, they were looking for a place to put 18,000 people. And they rented a place called the Royal Surrey Gardens, which was kind of like Thompson Bowling Arena because they couldn't fit the people. And some people, for a joke, on October 19th, it was 1856, they yelled, fire, just for a joke. And there was a stampede. 29 people were critically injured and seven people were killed. And he was depressed the rest of his life over that. But he said, if you, your brain is an organ and if you need to go, if if you need a doctor, you need a doctor. And if you need medication, you should take it. And he said, You're not going to pray for food and never go to the butcher. Why should you pray for peace and never go to the doctor when, when you need to? Sometimes, I th- I, you know, when you read the book of Psalms and I think about the medications we have and I read what David wrote and I was like, Buddy, you're having a hard time, aren't you? I think we could ha- have helped you, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. but.'" Um, There are things that you can do. There are some things, in order to have healthy thinking, there are some things that you have to know. Um, You have to know what God says about you. You have to know what Jesus means to you. One time I was talking to a young mom, and she had just found out that she had cancer. And and I didn't know her, but I said, so if you... um, if I say, and she, she said to me, all I can think of is all the bad things I've done in my life. And I said, do you know what I mean when I say, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? She said, yes, I did that a year ago. I said, okay, I don't know why this is happening to you, but I can promise you, you are not being punished for your sins. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, so let's, so we looked at Romans chapter three, that we were justified by faith, that our, his righteousness is, has been given to us in chapter five, verse one, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Romans Eight, one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those. You're not being condemned because Jesus took that for you. The, John chapter 5 verse 24. He who hears my words believes in him who sent me has eternal life will not come into judgment. But is, you're not being judged. But you've already passed from death into life. She said it's so awesome to know this. I said you have to know this. She said my biggest fear is that I'm going to let go of my faith when it gets difficult. I said John 10.28 says my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. I went to see recently in the hospital, somebody wanted me to see their grandmother. She was in her 80s. They said she's dying of cancer. She's in denial. We're very worried about that. I went into her room. She was the sweetest thing ever. She said, I am dying of cancer. I wrote down in my notes. She is not in denial about this. But she said, I have believed in my Lord Jesus Christ. I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Am I going to go to heaven when I die? I said, yes. She said, how do you know? I said, because Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, my, he said, here's my words, believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but has already passed from death into." she said it is so awesome to know this I said you have to know it so somebody asked me to go see an older man in the hospital and he had been a pastor for 50 years and I went to see him, and he was very sick, and he was very afraid. And he said, why is God doing this to me? What did I do that God would do this to me? I was like, come on, Pastor, you know that isn't true. Romans 5, 1, being justified by faith. And he said, we have peace with God. I said, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I said, so you're, you're Baptist, right? He said, yeah. I said, so that means you preach twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday. He said, yes. I said, did you get two weeks vacation a year? He said, yes. I said, so that's 51. Weeks, three sermons a week, that's 150 sermons a year. For 50 years, he said, Yeah, I said, that's 7,500 sermons. What did you tell those people? you got to know something. I said, you need to tell yourself that. So tell yourself. And this guy, he was deaf, you know, so he was deaf. I said, tell yourself the stuff you told them. Remember what Paul said. What can separate? So I'm yelling at him. What can separate us from the love of Christ? tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are we are. We are counted, we are delivered over to death all day long, counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But in in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him who loves us. So I said, say it together with me. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, we're yelling, nor things present, nor things to come, nor high depth, any creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when we were done, he just had the biggest smile and tears coming down. He said, thank me. Thank you. You've helped me. I said, no, you've helped yourself. I said, you told yourself the things you've been telling people. That's what you got to do there, brother. So when I went out to the nurse's station, I said, I'm sorry. I know it got a little loud in there, but we were kind of having a revival going on. But um. <laughs> So there's things that you can do. There's things that you have to know. There's one other thing you can do. There's one other thing you have to do. The things that you know, you have to believe them. There is no way around it. That is your response. Sometimes people like, well, you know, I'm struggling. Don't make me feel bad about the fact that I don't believe it enough. And I don't mean to be that way. But I am convinced in my own heart there is no way around it. That is our job. Is to God is to believe? We have to believe the things that we know. I just got finished reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, that is a big deal. And the Gospel of Matthew gives the impression that when it comes to faith, the bigger, the better. There was, he would say to his own disciples like two times, once in chapter eight, once in chapter 14, he said, Oh, you're know, just, you all oh, just little faith you just have little faith you're just oh you have little faith but it was one word he was calling little face come on little face you can do better than that the the word little is a word that's sometimes translated seldom sometimes translated short so Jesus was saying you believe what you need to believe and what you believe is good and right you just need to believe it longer you just need to believe it now in this thing. But then there were other people. There were two people. There was one in chapter eight and one later in chapter 18 that he said, your faith is huge. You have a, me- the, it, it's, the word he used was megalay where you get the word mega. Your faith is so big. This is so good. The word mega, scholars say, it can mean high, huge, mighty, powerful, extraordinary, and wonderful. I was reading through the book of Hebrews and noting everything he said about the way we should live this thing about having faith. It says in chapter three, you need to hold on tight to your confession. It's it's a word that's sometimes translated arrested. It means to detain. Hold on to it. In chapter four, he said they had the good news preached to them just like you did, but it didn't benefit them because they didn't blend it with faith. They didn't mix faith in it. That's your job. You've got to have faith faith in this or it's not going to do you any good. Later on in chapter four, he said, you need to hold on to your confidence. Hold on to it. That's a word that Jesus used when he talked about pulling a sheep out of a hole. Just hang on to it and pull it out. You need to hold on to this. In chapter 11, it says it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You need to just make up your mind. Am I going to believe this or not? Do I believe Jesus loves me? Yes. Do I? Yes. Do I believe that he's in control of everything? Yes. How, How much? I really believe it. Do you really believe it? I really believe it. Why not? This is our religion. We're not gonna get another one. Let's just do this one. Like, just believe it. I remember one of my favorite professors, Dr. Howard Hendricks, and he was, he used to teach preaching classes in the, in the it, I, I never took those, that's probably my problem, but, they, but in the seminary that he was, and there was a young student giving a sermon, and in the middle of the sermon, Dr. Hendricks said, nah, no, 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 no. You don't believe that. And he said, excuse me? He said, you don't believe it. You don't believe what you're saying. He said. Yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. He said, tell me about it. You know what I mean? Let's believe this. Let's believe the things that we believe. There's things that we can do. There's things we have to know. There's there's one thing that we have to do. We have to believe the things we know. But there's one sometimes. But there's one thing that only Jesus can do for me. There are times, and if you're like me, you know what I'm talking about, when I've eaten my organic granola bars, and I've run my five miles, and I've memorized Romans chapter eight, and I've turned off that stupid cable news, and I'm not angry or anxious about that. I've had 40 mornings that I've spent time with Jesus. And I just need something more. I just need Jesus to do what he did for that guy. I just need him to help me. I need him to breathe on me and say, peace be unto you. Every prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in the New Testament was always this kind of thing. He was, he prayed for the Philippians that their love would grow. He prayed for the Ephesians that Jesus in chapter one, that Jesus would help them see who they really were what do you mean by that? I don't know that he would just help them to see who they were, the hope of their calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance in them and the surpassing greatness of his power towards them, which is in accordance with the power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that Jesus would just help them see how powerful they were. What do you mean? I don't know. It just means that Jesus helped me see who I am. In chapter three, he prayed that Jesus would would just help them to just feel the length and width and height and depth of the love of Christ. To know this love that passes all understanding by experience and to be filled up with all the fullness of God. Jesus, help them to just feel that you love them. Jesus, help me feel that you love me. In Romans chapter 15, he said, I pray that the God of hope will just fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you can overflow with hope. Sometimes I just need love. Give it to me. Peace. Fill me with it. Joy. Pump me up with it. Just help me. I just need you to help me. Sometimes one difference between me and that guy that he met on the beach was that I have the sense to ask for it. Lord Jesus, I've needed it. I have needed it. And to tell you the honest truth, yesterday, you gave me peace because I asked you for it. You're giving me joy because I'm asking you for it. Ha. Oh. And I thank you. If there's anybody here who just needs peace and they've done all the things, there's no book they need to read, they know what they need to know, they've memorized their scriptures, give them the courage to ask you to help them and to give them peace or love or joy or all of it in your precious name.
0: Well I wrap myself up in these chains I wear And I cut myself to make these hurts I bear And all that I see in their eyes are frightened stares And nobody wants to know me it is so dark inside my mind today a legion of voices is pulling me their way and I get so weary of all of the terrible things they say is this really who I am someone speak to today silence all these voices but yours and hold out your hand and pull me out of this grave Everyone runs away, you're drawing near And I see love in your eyes instead of fear At the slightest sound of your voice Oh, my mind is so clear I can hardly believe it's me Well, the things that you say to me when well, you spoke to me brought me such peace today. You silenced all these voices but yours and held out your hand and pulled me out of this grave. Is but yours, and hold out your hand and pull me out of this grave.